So a few uh, weeks ago, right before Easter, I read this passage of Scripture to you. I'm going to read it again. Hearing that Jesus had silenced the Sadducees, the Pharisees got together. One of them, an expert in biblical law, tested him with this question. Teacher, which is the greatest commandment in the law? Jesus replied, Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment. And the second's like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. All the law and the prophets hang on these two commandments. So what I told you a couple weeks ago is love is the lens by which we're to interpret the rest of the Bible. When you study the scripture, especially the Old Testament, you need to look at it through the lens of love. And then it makes sense. Then you get it. You know, I've got some glasses, and I like to wear my glasses. Do I need them? Well, I can see you. I can even tell who most of you are. But maybe I can't tell if you're smiling or frowning, or if your eyes are open or closed. And I could probably drive okay, unless i got to read street signs. But if I know where I'm going, I'm doing okay. And lenses make a big difference. You can understand parts of the Bible without the lens of love. You can. But you're not going to understand it just right. And that was the problems with the Pharisees and Sadducees. Man, these guys had the Bible memorized. Then why were they arguing with Jesus all the time? Because they weren't looking at it through the lens of love. And that's why they were always clashing. In fact, love is the lens we just need to look at life through. We should get some love glasses. I don't know what those would look like, but uh, I think if we start looking at people through, you know, driving down the street, somebody cuts you off, first reaction, flip them off. That's not the lens love. The love lens is more like, oh, that's a 17-year-old driver. That could be my son or daughter. They're, they're still learning. Just be patient, be gracious, and say a prayer for them. You see the difference? It's the love lens. That's the difference. See somebody on the side of the road? Are you annoyed? Oh man, this city's just filling up with beggars. Enough already. Or wow, that's somebody's son right there who for whatever reason, you know, it's just the love lens. Now, we talked about love and then I helped you memorize all the love aspects of 1 Corinthians 13. And I gave you four acrostics. I'm going to give them to you again. Then we'll get into some new material. We're going to get into new material, but it's still going to be about love. Because here's what I was thinking. If love is the greatest commandment, why should I refrain from teaching on it more than once? You see what I'm saying? Oh, Steve, you just taught on love a couple weeks ago. That, you know, move on to something else. I don't think so. It's a funny thing. You know, I went to Bible college, and I took some cool classes. Old Testament survey, New Testament survey, the book of Romans, that was awesome. Ezekiel, Jeremiah, systematic theology, number one and number two. Apologetics, I learned all the arguments. Church history, missions history, I learned it all. But they didn't have one class on love. See, Steve, that's silly. How do you have a class on love? Jesus said love's the most important thing. How do you not have a class on love? You're going to spend all day talking about when the rapture happens? How about we spend all day about saying, let's not fight over when the rapture happens? How about we don't start a whole separate church because your perspective on this is different than my perspective on that? How about we spend some time talking about the importance of love and looking at our theology through the lens of love? 
So if I started a seminary, it would be a required class. Love 101. And so I, I'm not going to apologize for teaching on love again because I haven't learned it yet. And I'm guessing maybe you haven't either. All right, so here's how we memorize all the love attributes in 1 Corinthians chapter 13. Love is patient, love is kind, love does not envy. Notice P-E-K, peck. I know it's not spelled like the way a chicken would peck you, but it sounds the same. Scripture says if we love one another, we're not going to bite and devour one another. So the idea is we're always picking on each other, biting and nitpicking. And no, love doesn't do that because love is patient. And love is kind. And love does not envy. So if you can remember the word peck, you can remember the first three. And the rest of them are just as easy. The next one is the word base. Base means lowly, bad behavior, the bottom rung. But if you don't brag, you aren't arrogant, and you're not self-edifying, you won't behave down here. You'll be behaving up here. Love is not base because it doesn't brag. It's not arrogant, and it's not self-edifying. And a loving person doesn't behave like a pig. I love this word because, you know, men are pigs. Everybody's always said that. I don't know why they say that. I don't know if it's the barping or the farting or the burping, but I don't know. Men are pigs. I say it tongue-in-cheek because the first letter for pig is easily provoked, but the second one, the, the key one that gives me the word pig, is a loving person doesn't behave inappropriately. Okay? And when I say burping and passing gas, that's not the kind of thing it's talking about in Scripture. It's talking about those kind of movies you shouldn't be seeing and the kind of words coming out of our mouth associated with those kind of movies, that kind of thing, those kind of books and magazines that they used to hide behind the cash register and don't hide anymore. Love doesn't behave that way. First of all, it's not easily provoked. You're not going to get mad real quick. You're not going to behave in an inappropriate way. And then if somebody does wrong you, you're not going to hold a grudge. How many of you, now be honest with me, have done something wrong to somebody and it was your fault? Let me see your hands. Yeah, if you're not putting up your hand, you're just scared to. Because <laughs> we all do. We can't help it. And if that's how we are, and we can't help it, and people are holding grudges, then we'd all hate each other all the time. We have to let things go. And that's what love does. Love lets things go. And then finally, the last word is the word brute. Um, a loving person doesn't behave as a brute because love believes all things, does not rejoice in unrighteousness, but rejoices in the truth. And love endures. So if you could remember peck, base, pig, and brute, you can remember all the attributes of love in 1 Corinthians 13. Find it very helpful. But what I found in our scripture reading this week from Leviticus is that we get some very specific details on how to be loving. It's one thing to just say, be nice. It's another thing to say, do this, do this, do this, but don't do this, this, and this, with the specifics. Leviticus gives us the specifics. It's funny, if, if I were to take a survey, and I've looked up surveys online, of people's least favorite Bible books, Leviticus would be towards the top of the list. Nobody likes Leviticus. Here's what I get from Leviticus. I don't get it. Isn't it about like priests barbecuing animals and killing them? 
So I, I don't read Leviticus. I, I, I skip that and I go straight to you know, Deuteronomy and Joshua because that's, that's cool. I get that. I understand that. There are parts of Leviticus that are hard to read. But missing out on Leviticus, you're missing out on the details of love. The book that most people don't like has some of the best details on how to be a loving person. So read quick through the hard parts, but slow down on some of the detailed parts. And we're going to look at some of that this morning. That's where we're at. We're in Leviticus chapter 19 this morning. And it talks about loving God, then it talks about loving each other, and then it goes into the details. First detail about love is aimed at parents. And here's what it says. Each of you must respect his father and mother. So it's one thing if somebody says, love your parents. Great. But what exactly do I need to do? The most important thing to do with your parents is to show them respect. Everything falls under that. You know the Ten Commandments. I mean, out of all the commandments in the Bible, 613 supposedly just in the Old Testament, God had Moses put ten on stone. God wrote them, Moses broke them, then Moses had to write them. Ten. So we look at that as the top ten. They're not really the top ten, but they are emphasized because they're like summary commandments. And one of the top ten, as you well know, and I quote, honor your father and your mother so that you may live long in the land the Lord your God is giving you. First commandment with a promise, says Ephesians. There's a consequence. When you respect and honor your parents, the end result is a long life. Now, how is that? Is it because civilization is that much better that people have longer lives? Maybe. Maybe civilization falls apart and lifespan shortened. Could be that way. Or maybe God just blesses you. You show respect to your parents, he shows you a better life. I, I don't know. I just know it's in there. It's repeated throughout the Old Testament and the New Testament. It's extremely important, and it's in the details. The second one in Leviticus is how to deal with poor people. Verses 9 and 10, chapter 19 says this. When you reap the harvest of your land, don't reap the very edges of your field or gather the gleanings of your harvest. Don't go over your vineyard a second time or pick up the grapes that have fallen. Leave them for the poor and the alien. I am the Lord your God. We're not farmers. But imagine you own a huge vineyard. Okay? And it's harvest time. You've got to get the grapes when they're just right to get the wine just right. Too early, too bitter. Too late, no good. You've got to get them just right. It's harvest time. So you go through your vineyard. You hire a bunch of guys. You're collecting the grapes. But you notice some of the grapes aren't quite mature enough yet. So business sense says, come back in a couple weeks and get those too. Because that's money hanging on the vine. You're not just going to let them rot, throw them away. You come back and harvest them. God says, no. Just open your gates, and in a couple weeks, let people who don't own vineyards, people who are having a hard time making ends meet, let them just come and have them. They can do what they want with them. Eat them, mash them into their own wine, whatever. Oh, and if some of them fall off the tree, or off the vine, just leave them there. Don't pick them up. Hey, you knock over one of your barrels, just leave it there. So, wow, that's pretty cool. But we're not farmers. So this is very specific. How do you love the poor people? When you farm, leave the edges to them, leave the hanging fruit to them, and the spilled fruit to them, the unripe hanging fruit. That's very specific. Here we are, 21st century. How do we apply this? I don't know. Get creative. 
Now, my wife's got a great idea. You know what she likes to do? She um, likes to give big tips at restaurants. We don't eat at fancy schmancy restaurants, so we figure the people working at those restaurants probably aren't making a great living. They're what we might call the working poor. So we leave a big tip. That's her way, in my interpretation. She never said, hey, this is my way of applying Leviticus chapter 19, but I see the parallel. Uh, what do you do? Are you a mechanic? You know, every 10 jobs, every 15 jobs, every 20 jobs, throw one in for a single mom. Throw one in for a senior citizen, somebody who's poor. There's ways if we'll just be creative. We've done this on a couple of occasions. Maybe we should do it more often. Um, but we could actually, you know, after Thanksgiving or any meal, we almost always have leftovers. You'd think after all these years we'd know how to cook. But we always have leftovers. Why don't we just wrap them up and bring them to the guy at the street corner saying hungry? I don't know. We're just not used to doing it. But maybe we should do it. That might be one way of applying this. Details. It's one thing to say love people. It's another thing when God tells you exactly how to do it. And that's what he does in Leviticus 19. You know, the Bible says these three words, God is love. So God loves us, and he loves the poor people. So I'm thinking if we love, we should also love the poor people. He cares about the poor, we should, be, we should care about the poor. I don't think it's like... Oh, gosh, I'm a God follower. They said at church I got to give to the poor, so dang it, if I'm going to be a good Christian, I guess I got to give to the poor. <clears throat> I guess if that's the only way you're going to give, give. But I think it's more like the lens of love. You see people in need, you just want to help. How can you not want to help? How can a loving person not want to help? That, that's, I think, really the point. So, here's what the New Testament says about love and giving to the poor. If anyone has material possessions and sees his brother in need but has no pity on him, how can the love of God be in him? Dear children, let's not love with words or tongue but with actions and in truth. So here the Apostle John is pretty much saying the same thing. How can your heart not go out to them? How can you say you've got God's love in you if you're not pitying these people? He didn't get it. I don't get it either. But it was obviously a problem or he wouldn't have written about it. So if it's got to start with compelling, start with compelling. Then maybe you'll learn to grow a heart of love. Love in the details. Leviticus chapter 19. The whole Torah. The Old Testament. The word of God. The word from Moses. It's details about how to walk with God. Third thing. Not only do we love people by doing things for them, we also show our love to people by not doing things to them. For example, verses 11 and 13. Do not steal. Do not lie. Do not deceive one another. Do not defraud your neighbor or rob him. Do not hold back the wages of a hired man overnight. Some people live paycheck to paycheck. I, I heard the true story about this guy, young guy, single, I think he was working on an oil rig. They make some pretty good money. And, but they're very busy, and that's why they, they pay them so well. They, like, they work tirelessly, these long forever shifts. And he gets paid, and he just starts putting his paychecks on the dresser at home, and they stack up. Because he's got all the money he needs in the bank already. It's inconvenient to go to the bank. He goes when it's convenient. 
So he's got a stack of salary checks, thousands of dollars deep. That's cool. He's not too worried about it. But some people, they need to get that pay in their hand right now. Or they may not have dinner or breakfast. They may not be able to put gas in their car to go get the dinner or breakfast. Paycheck to paycheck. So God is saying, hey, don't hold back the wages. If you employ somebody, don't hold back the wages. It, it hurts them. And you know, love doesn't hurt people. That's the thing about the scriptures. God's trying to get us focused so we don't want to hurt people. Romans, um, i got that verse right here. I paraphrased it just a little, but it, I changed the word, but I didn't paraphrase it. I just used another English way to say it. Romans 3.10, love doesn't hurt others. That's why love fulfills the law. In our culture, here we are, we're Americans, we're in the 21st century. In our culture, even though most people don't follow the Bible intentionally, our whole moral structure was founded on it. That's why we've had laws against adultery. We've had laws against other weird things that we could be doing with our bodies and shouldn't that I don't feel like talking about. We have laws against stealing. We have laws against extortion and blackmail. These are all things based on the Bible, right and wrong based on the Bible. And so our society knows right from wrong, generally speaking. You don't have to tell us the details because we are raised with the details. But think back to the days of Moses. There was no Bible. There were no people of God. These were people that sacrificed their babies to their gods, did perverse things that are disgusting to talk about, cheated one another as a common course in life, murdered each other, robbed from each other. You know the story. It got so bad, God had to flood the world. And then when it started over, it started over again. So God said, no, 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 no. This is how it's supposed to be. He could have said, just be nice. But we needed more training than that. We needed some details. Okay, this is nice. Don't steal from people. That's not good. Don't do that. Poor people, help them. That's good. Be honest. That's good. They didn't know. We know. For the most part. But it helps us to review it got really specific. Listen to this, verses 35 and 36. Do not cheat anyone by using false measures of length, weight, or quantity. Use honest scales, honest weights, and honest measures. I am the Lord your God. I brought you out of Egypt. So when I go to the gas station, there's, uh, you know, three little buttons, 87, 91, 92, I don't know. And there's a little sticker there with a year and a month punched on it. And it says, this gasoline dispenser has been certified accurate by the people who punch the stickers and certify accurate gas meters. So when I got to pay $3.37 for nine-tenths of a gallon of gas, I know, based on that sticker, that I'm not getting cheated. Why do we have a whole department that handles that? Because people will cheat you. And so we've got a law against it and supervisors to make sure it doesn't happen. Because really, if I was unscrupulous and I owned a gas station or a whole chain of gas stations, and instead of giving you nine-tenths a gallon, I tweaked the little thing and made it give you seven-tenths or eight-tenths, you'd never know. There's no way you could know. Gas tanks aren't that accurate, full, empty. So I could rip you off and make millions of dollars doing it, and you'd be none the wiser. But God says it's wrong. Not to do it. Do you see that scale up there? Did you pay attention to that? 
Notice it does not start on zero. <laughs> you could be none the wiser. Oh, yeah, that's six kilograms right there. Yeah, but it started at two. Put your finger on the scale. Details, details, details. Here's how to be good, honest, and loving. Verses 14 through 16. Don't curse the deaf or put a stumbling block in front of the blind. Wow. How pathetic were they that God had to tell them that? Right? Who would do that? People would do that. You know people would do that. So God says, don't do that. That's wrong. Fear your God. I am the Lord. Don't pervert justice. Don't show partiality to the poor or favoritism to the great. But judge your neighbor fairly. I like that. Because, okay, God wants us to take care of the poor and be considered the poor. But that's not the same as then showing partiality to them. You've got two parties. There's a disagreement. You judge fairly. You don't just judge for the poor guy because he's poor and disregard the rich guy because he's rich. There are a lot of people who despise rich people. They envy, I guess. I don't know. Don't do that. Don't do that. You know, praise God that God has blessed them and move on. Don't covet what they have. God has given it to them. Do not show partiality to the poor or favoritism to the great, but judge your neighbor fairly. We, um, nah, I'm not going to say this. It's too close to home. Never mind. Do not go about spreading slander among your people. Do not do anything that endangers your neighbor's life. I am the Lord. So, what is it that we might have a tendency to do that endangers our neighbor's lives? Well, obviously, drunk driving would do it. Shooting your gun up in the air on New Year's could do it. It's fun, but what goes up must come down. So don't do it. It's not worth it. You know what I was thinking of the other day? What about texting while you drive? Is that endangering somebody's life? If you think it is, don't do it. If you think it might be, don't do it. If you don't think it is, let me know when you're on the road. <laughs> I have this awesome, cool app on my phone. I recommend it to everybody. It's called Protect Me. P-R-O-T-E-X-T. Protect. Protects me. When I start driving, it turns on. And if you send me a text, it automatically sends you a text back telling you I'm driving and I can't answer the phone right now. And it even says you can call me if you want, because I got Bluetooth, so I can call hands-free or receive a call. And then I know you're not being dissed, like, why isn't he returning my text? I'm driving, and you know I'm driving, and it's pretty cool. I would recommend it. Drive safe. It's called Protect Me. And they do have a free version of it, too. And the paid version isn't that expensive. I would recommend it. It works great. More details. Um, do not hate your brother in your heart. I'm in verses 17 and 18. Rebuke your neighbor frankly so you will not share in his guilt. Do not seek revenge or bear a grudge against one of your people, but love your neighbor as yourself. I am the Lord. Okay, you ready for this? What did I tell you? One of the least liked books in the Bible is Leviticus. And it's in Leviticus that has the most important verse in the Bible. Jesus was asked, which is the greatest commandment of all? He said, love your neighbor as yourself. He was quoting Leviticus chapter 19. Not even the Ten Commandments. Leviticus chapter 19. And I love the context, because in the context that he was quoting that they knew are all the details. 
So even though he just said, love your neighbor, and in this one conversation didn't give all the details, he didn't need to. He was talking to a biblically literate people. They knew the details. They had them memorized. So when he said, love your neighbor as yourself, it would have flooded through their mind. Don't rob, don't cheat, don't steal, love your parents, everything we just went through tonight, uh, this morning, and more. Verses 17 and 18 that I just read to you has four things in it. I'm going to summarize them to you like this. Don't hate, do rebuke. Don't seek revenge, do love. Quick summary. Don't do, don't do. And I don't think that was an accident on Moses' part. I think he was being creative to help us memorize, to help us know, to help us learn. It's kind of like Hebrew poetry. It's laid out in a nice, easy-to-memorize format. Don't do, don't do. We know what hate is. Don't hate. Okay, we know what that is. But do rebuke your neighbor, your fellow human being. Do rebuke him. What's rebuke mean? We don't use that word today. Nobody uses that word. And we don't really have another English word that we use. And that's why they keep using rebuke in the Bible. The contemporary English version, though, did pretty well. This is what they, they put. Don't hold grudges. On the other hand, it's wrong not to correct someone who needs correcting. That idea of correcting is rebuke, but rebuke is a harsher form of it. Rebuke is pretty much this. If you see somebody about ready to do something wrong, light into them. Read them the right act. Don't let them do it. Try everything within your verbal power to talk them out of it. I'm thinking of this, you know. You're at a party. A friend of yours is drinking and drinking and drinking, and he's, he fumbles for his keys and says, okay, I'm going home now. Bye, everybody. Yo, uh-uh, 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 you are not driving yourself home. Give me your keys, I'll take you home. Hey, I can hold my liquor. <laughs> Give me your keys, you're not driving yourself home. You're going to have to take them from me. You know I can. But I'll tell you what. I'm not going to go there. 911, give me your keys. Because if you don't, I'm calling the cops on your. <laughs> Do we have my keys? I don't care. That's rebuking your, your friend. Don't let them get away with being stupid. Or maybe you've got a friend who's stepping out on his wife. Talk to your friend. Tell him it's wrong. Try to talk him out of it. You may not succeed. They may hate you for it. It doesn't matter. What matters is at this point, you're trying to save somebody from running his family off a cliff. You're not willing to risk a friendship over that? You're not willing to risk a friendship over a drunk driving thing? You better be. Man up. It says, or you'll share in their guilt. So if you have the potential to speak up and you don't, you share in their guilt. Wow, that's pretty heavy. So a rebuke is chastisement or correction. Do what's within your power to do. When all said and done, the main point of the Bible, the lens by which we look at it, is love. Sometimes love is rough, sometimes love is sweet, but it's always love. Jesus said this to his disciples, 
No greater love has a man than this, than he'll lay down his life for his friends. And that's exactly what he did when he died for our sins. He died for our sins. He rose again. And he wants two things in return. This is what Jesus wants. One, love him back. When I was talking about the poor people and is it a commandment or is it just something that should come out of your heart? And I said, well, if you love people, it really should come out of your heart. Well, loving God is a commandment, but it should really come out of your heart. Somebody who was crucified for you, how can you not love them for doing that for you? How can you not? If you understand what he did to himself for you. See, God says sin, the wages of sin is death. So we're worthy of the death penalty for our sin, and we all sin. So Jesus says, I'll, I'll die for you. He knew no sin. And so you can't help but love him. That's the first thing. He wants you to love him back. And you know what the second thing is? This is so like him. Love others. That's, that's it. Those two things. That's all he wants. Back to the beginning of the sermon. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment. And the second is like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. If you've not yet given your life to Jesus Christ, I would encourage you to do so. Um, it's not a complex process. It's acknowledging your shortcomings, your sin, when you do things God does not want you to do. And telling God you promise to the best of your ability to stop being that way and that you'll live for him. Tell him you believe Jesus died for your sins and rose again and thank him and pledge to follow him. If you can say that from your heart and really mean it, that's all it takes. And then you start walking the walk. Get in touch with us so we can baptize you and give you some literature and help you on your walk. It would be our pleasure to do so. We do have a baptism coming up, by the way. So it would be nice, nice timing. All right, please bow your heads for a moment of prayer. Lord God, thank you for Leviticus. <laughs> it's a great book. Thank you for the Bible as a whole. It's our food, it's our instruction, it's our lifeline. And I pray that you would help us to live it. We know what love is, but uh, we try. And I think sometimes we actually do a pretty good job. We forgive people, we help people, uh, we serve you. But we're just not quite all the way there. And we want to be. So please give us more patience. Give us more of yourself, more of your spirit, that we might be more the way you would have us be. For it's in Jesus' name that we pray. And all of God's children said, Amen.